He is worthy. Amen. We're going to be in Luke chapter 4 if you want to turn there. While you're turning there, I've got an announcement. If you'll notice in your bulletin, you'll see something that says Right Now Media. Um, I have a brief video for you to watch, then I'll tell you a little bit more about that. Our church is a light in the darkness, a city on a hill. Every believer is called to make a difference in the world, to love God completely, and to make disciples of every nation. But in this busy, mobile, noisy world, it can be difficult to even do the basics, to pray, to read the Word, to bring the love of God to our marriages, families, neighbors, and co-workers. We know you're here because you want to be a part of God's mission on the earth. You want to experience the abundant life that Scripture talks about. You're looking to connect your faith to every part of your life, every day of the week. That's why our church is subscribing to Right Now Media and making it available for free to every member of our church. You'll have access to over 10,000 online Bible study videos on parenting, marriage, finance, discipleship, leadership, and many more. The videos can be used in Bible study groups or for personal devotion. There's also a huge library of safe biblical kids' videos. We love to see every member of our church utilizing Right Now Media. Small group leaders leading their adult or youth groups through engaging Bible study series. Children enjoying safe programming that doesn't just entertain, but helps lay a strong spiritual foundation. Families spending quality time together, going through devotional Bible studies. Couples using biblical studies on marriage, parenting, and finance. Applying God's Word to every area of their lives. There is something for everyone. We want to help you grow as a disciple of Christ. And we want to help you become a disciple maker in your home, your school, your workplace, your neighborhood, in whatever mission field God has called you to. We believe that this free resource will help equip and unleash you to live out your faith in every area of life. To experience God-centered, abundant life, not just on Sundays, but every day. We are for you, and God is for you. He wants to empower you every day to live for Him. Together, we can be a light in the darkness, a city on a hill. All right. How many of you guys got an email about that uh, this week? Raise your hand. Okay, if you didn't get an email, if you'll submit your email address on that connection card, uh, Miss Teresa will uh, send that out so you can have that. What we're doing as a church is uh, giving this away free for everybody. And also you can give it to your uh, friends and different people in your family. But if you add all the Bible studies and the kids series and the conferences, it's almost, I think, 18 to 20,000 videos, they said. So it's anywhere you've got an internet connection, you can watch these. And it doesn't replace uh, the church or teaching, but it's a supplement. So um, it's really good. My kids watch the kids' channel almost daily. There's, I think, 2,500 kids' videos on there. So if you have kids or grandkids, it's a great resource. All we need from you is your email address. We'll send out an invitation to it, and you just create a login with your email address and password, and then you can use it anytime you want. And uh, it's really exciting. So we'll tell you more about that for weeks to come, but that's available now to whoever would like to be a part of that. All right, we're going to be in Luke 4. And today we're going to talk about discouragement. How many of you, without raising your hands, have been discouraged in the past week, the past month, the past year? I think we all, without raising our hands, could say we've all been there, done that. 
I can remember a time in my life, it was only about four and a half, five years ago. At the time, then we had two kids. Now we have four, but we had two kids. And I was between churches, found myself without a job. My wife's full-time job was the kids. So I remember I was without work for about six months. And my, my father-in-law called me up, and he had that, you know, come to Jesus talk. You got, if father-in-law's ever given that to your son-in-law. And basically the talk was something like, I know you want to do ministry full-time, but you've got to put bread on the table. You need to get a job like tomorrow. So I'm like, yes, sir. So the next day I went out, and I always heard that pastors make good car salesmen. You guys ever heard that? So I was like, well, let's, let's give it a shot. So I went and I got a job at a local car lot. And I did that for several months until the Lord opened up the next church. And that was the time, you know, six months without a job, the come to Jesus talk from my father-in-law. That was a time of discouragement because as a husband, as as a man, you want to be a provider. And at that time, I was just in the wilderness. Last week, we talked about Jesus in the wilderness and his temptation. And we talked about going through trials and what that looks like. Today, a little preview, we're going to talk about Jesus' public ministry. And Luke is going to give an account of Jesus in his hometown and how Jesus faced extreme discouragement. I mean, it was worse than discouragement. You'll see it in the text. And we're going to talk about how he faced it and how we're to face it. Because it's no matter if you will be discouraged, it's a matter of when. So if you're ready to be encouraged, look in chapter 4, starting in verse 14. It's a lengthy passage. We'll read it and then... We're going to give you five principles on how to overcome discouragement in your life. So read with me in verse 14. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And news of him went throughout all the surrounding region. And he taught them in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Now notice the people are praising him, think he's amazing. But notice what happens after he begins teaching them. And verse 16, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. In verse number 18 and following, he's going to quote Isaiah 61, the beginning of it. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the good news or the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then Jesus closed the book, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on Jesus. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Before we read verse 22, just give you a little background. Isaiah 61 that Jesus quotes from is a messianic passage. And basically, Jesus here is claiming, I'm the Messiah. What Isaiah prophesied, I'm that guy. And Nazareth, many scholars think, was a very small town. It could be in the smallest 200 people. So some of you are from small towns. So these people seen Jesus when he was in diapers. They seen Jesus grow up. And now this same Jesus, the carpenter's son, is saying, I'm the Messiah. So look at their reaction. In verse 22, So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? 
Verse 23, he said to them, you will surely say this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. And then he said, assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. And then Jesus in the verses we're going to read gives two examples from the Old Testament. Verse 25, but I tell you, truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up. For three years and six months. And there was a great famine throughout the land. But none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath. In the region of Sidon. To a woman who was a widow. So the first illustration before we read verse 27. He said Elijah was sent to a Gentile. And he could have helped out a lot of widows in that day. But he helped out one widow who wasn't a Jew. So at this point the people you could tell they're, they're getting a little angry. Verse 27. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet. And none of them were cleansed except to Naaman the Syrian. So he gives two examples when the people reject God's covenant blessings. They, they bleed out onto other people who are, aren't even part of the covenant. Now look at the people's reaction. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, they were filled with wrath. Some translations say, may say rage or anger. And they rose up and they thrust Jesus out of the city. And they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. And verse 30 is, is very interesting. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. So they were going to try to kill Jesus, but Jesus, it's not my time. He kept going. Let us pray together. Father... This is a very interesting passage. And we can see how it would have been very easy for Jesus to be discouraged that his hometown rejected him and even tried to kill him. So, Father, as we look in your word, give us wisdom, give us insight and understanding. And I pray that you would help us to turn our discouragement into direction. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you'll take your listening guide out, I have five basic principles on how to turn your discouragement into direction from the life of Jesus. The first one is this. You will need God's power to accomplish God's work. If you look at verses 14 and 15, Jesus had just come out of the wilderness in temptation and it said that he returned in the power of what? The Spirit. So you need God's presence for your everyday life, but you need God's power when you're getting ready to face a battle. So here Jesus is facing a battle in his hometown. He had just faced a battle with the devil. And he overcame 40 days of temptation. And now Jesus is having a homecoming. But it wasn't the homecoming like you thought of. This is the homecoming that broke out in a brawl. Where they were about trying to kill Jesus. So if you look at that. Jesus had the power of the Holy Spirit. And for us. If you're discouraged today, and I know many within the sound of my voice are either discouraged, have been discouraged, or will face it, i got good news for you. You can have the power of the Spirit to overcome it. The, the great pastor Charles Spurgeon said, Without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. We are like ships without the wind. We are like branches without sap. We are like coals without fire. We are useless. So if Jesus being the Son of God, God in the flesh, needed the power of the Holy Spirit, how much more do we? If you look at Jesus' ministry up to this point, 
before Jesus launched out into his public ministry. And we know his first miracle was in John 2. He turned the water into wine. But Luke gives us a good synopsis of his ministry. But before Jesus had his ministry debut, he had several things that God was doing. The first one is 30. 30 years of preparation. God was working in Jesus and through Jesus. Did you know that God is currently preparing you for what he has prepared for you? Every single day, God's preparing you for something next. Jesus spent 30 years of preparation. His public commitment. We see that he was baptized. And we had God the Father given his verbal approval. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. We see that Jesus was empowered. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. We see his dedication. He fasted for how many days? It's hard enough to fast for 40 minutes, as I said last week. 40 days. He was dedicated. And we saw that in that midst of temptation, Jesus had victory over sin. Scripture says that he was tempted in all ways like we are, yet he never sinned. Can you imagine that? Jesus never said a word that he regretted. Jesus never did anything that could violate God's law. He lived the perfect life. And for you and I, many of us mess up daily. That's hard to imagine, someone that lived a perfect life. But this was Jesus. So if you're going to accomplish God's work in God's ways, you're going to need God's power. Many times in life, we think we can go, go about life in our own talents, gifts, and abilities. And you may be able to do that for some time, but you will not go long term and have lasting fruit unless you have the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Number two, the second principle, not only do you need God's power to accomplish God's work, but number two, God's work is to present the good news to everyone. I love how he comes to his hometown in Nazareth. As I mentioned, it's a town that could have been as small as 200 people. And he proclaims that God is doing something in me. If, if you look at the verses, what did he say? The Spirit of God is upon me. Aren't you glad that Jesus was anointed? Jesus had a plan. And by the way, for all of you who are believers... You are anointed with the Holy Spirit. You receive the Holy Spirit the day you receive Christ. The problem is many of us are not full of the Spirit. We have to daily surrender, moment by moment, ask God to fill us again. Notice that Jesus practiced good habits. What was his habit here? It says that he went to the Sabbath. And on the Sabbath, he went to the synagogue. Jesus was in the habit of going to God's house on a weekly basis. I doubt there were very many of any Sundays Jesus missed, or Sabbaths, I should say, Saturdays. So it's interesting in culture. Did you know that in American culture, if you look at the statistics, less people are going to church now? Have you guys noticed that? Your neighbors, many of them aren't going to church. And the people who do go to church go less often. So pastors say it like this, less people go to church, and those who do go, go less often. And it's like, how is that? And it's like, it's a habit. You either get in a good habit or you can fall out of a good habit. Hebrews 10.25 says, let us not get in the habit, let's not get out of the habit of assembling together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And so much more as you see the day approaching. So Jesus was in a good habit. He attended church. He ministered. And it's interesting how the Jewish synagogue worked. Generally speaking, the way they worked, it was usually a small place unless it was a big city. And the synagogue, you think of a town of maybe 200 or so, it couldn't be very big. So the men would have rows that faced each other, and the women would typically sit in the back. And how, how the service went is they would open up, 
with um, a blessing. They would, they would read Deuteronomy 6, called the Shema, Hear, O God, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. They would quote that. Often they would sing a psalm from the book of Psalms. And then they would read a scripture. Many times it would be a passage from the law and a passage from the prophets. Now what's interesting is Jesus, by God's divine providence, has handed the scroll of which book? Isaiah. It was by God's choosing because Jesus was going to make his public declaration, this passage in Isaiah 61, according to our Bible, Isaiah 61, I'm reading to you, I am the Messiah. I am the one. So let's look at what Jesus proclaimed. If you look at your listening guide, I divide it up into two special colleagues, two special ministries. One is the proclamation ministry, and the other one is the restoring ministry. So you have the proclamation ministry and the restoring ministry. The proclamation ministry is this. Jesus was sent to give good news to the poor. Do you think people who are financially poor need some encouragement? I think so. And the good news is not that God's going to make you rich this side of eternity. The good news is God's going to meet every need. He's going to give you your daily bread. And you may leave this world in poverty, but when you wake up in eternity, you're you're rich, you're wealthy in Christ. So God doesn't promise us prosperity here on earth, but he does promise us good news for eternity. Amen. We also see proclaiming freedom to the captives. Now, when you think of captive, you think of someone in prison. When the Israelites thought of captivity, they thought of the Babylonian captivity. When they were carried away as slaves, it was somewhere um, 586, 587 B.C. They think of Rome that was currently ruling the land they were in. So they didn't think of incarceration. They thought of slavery. So what Jesus is saying is whatever you're enslaved to, I can set you free. Um, Another part of his proclamation ministry was to proclaim God's favor. This is known as the year of Jubilee. So for those of you who have been in the Old Testament, it's Numbers 25. And basically the year of Jubilee is beautiful. I wish they did it in America. The year of Jubilee was every 50th year. If you owed money, it was, it was forgiven, debt free. If you had your land foreclosed on and someone took over your land, your family land was restored back to you. And if you were a slave, you were set free. So what Jesus is saying is, with my ministry, I'm proclaiming the year of Jubilee. I'm coming to set everyone free. Everyone that comes to me and asks for forgiveness, I forgive all of your sin. And I don't want you enslaved by anyone or anything. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. So that's beautiful. Think about it like this. Imagine if you owed a million dollars. Imagine if in in school you you racked up about $100,000 student debt. You bought a nice home and you went bankrupt. Your business failed and life just kept happening. The bill collectors kept calling and you owed a million dollars. Imagine if the federal government made a declaration. Every American citizen that is upstanding, outstanding, upright, we're going to forgive all of your debt. If your property's been foreclosed on, we'll return it. And by the way, if you're, if you're in any kind of bondage or prison, we're going to let you go, let you free. Wouldn't that be great? How many of you would sign up for debt-free living? I know I would. So he's saying, I've come to set you free. Let's look at the restoring ministry. Not only did Jesus proclaim the good news, but he said, I've come to restore he says, I've come to heal the brokenhearted. How many of us know people who are brokenhearted? Almost everyone you face is someone that 
their hearts breaking about something. And Jesus said, there's good news. Those who have broken hearts, I'm the God who heals. I am Jehovah Rophe, I'm the God who heals. He said, I've come to give sight to the blind. Jesus did that physically. He made blind people see, but also he does it spiritually. All of us who are spiritually blind, Ephesians 2 says that we were dead, we were spiritually blind. The moment we come to Christ, the light is turned on and we can see spiritually. And also he said, I've come to set free the oppressed. Many people are oppressed today in society. There's marginalized, there's people that are outcasts. And Jesus said, I've come even for the outcasts, for the down and out. For those who are oppressed, I've come to set you free. This is good news. Look at the person next to you and say, this is good news. This is the gospel. So Jesus' mission was to get the gospel, the good news. And the good news is not just that God wants to forgive you. That's part of it. But it's God wants to restore you. It's not just to forgive and you're done. It's I'm remaking you back into the image of God. That image has been marred by sin, but guess what? I'm restoring you. What, what should the mission of Arden first be? Shouldn't it mirror this? To heal the brokenhearted? To set the captives free? To proclaim the good news to the poor? This should be our mission as well. Many of you know that uh, we're, we're, we're gearing up to start a 930 mission outreach service. And what we're trying to do is get the gospel to our community. We have so many people that live all around us that don't go to church. Um, it's been estimated that people that live in apartments, 95% do not go to church who live in apartments. And as you know, we're surrounded by apartment complexes. So what we're trying to do is get the good news to every man, woman, and child in South Asheville and beyond. And we're not going to do it by ourselves. We're going to work with other churches that are getting the gospel out so that together we can be a light shining bright in the darkness. Amen. So I was reading about Kent Hughes. He's got a commentary on Luke. And he gave this beautiful illustration. He says that in, it was in England, there was this large Anglican church. And it was so big, they had three campuses. And he was telling about that once a year, because they had three campuses, they'd get together for this big communion service. Because having three, three campuses, it's hard to get everyone together. So they'd get everyone together. And the way they would do it in this communion service, all the pastors from the different churches would come together. They would give out the communion. And it was one of those churches where you went forward. Some of you have been to more liturgical. You'd kneel down, and the minister would give you the communion. And what blew one of the pastors away is there was this judge that was one of the highest judges in England. And he knelt down to have his communion. And right next to him was a guy that just got out of prison, had been in prison seven years, and guess who put him there? The judge that was, he was kneeling beside. And they took communion together, and they, they, they worshipped together. And the pastor came to the judge following that, and he said, you know what, I saw a miracle of grace if I've ever seen it. And the judge said, well, it was a miracle, but which one are you talking about? He said, it was a greater miracle that I could worship next to this guy without looking down on him. It's a greater miracle that I knew that I needed my sins forgiven, just as this guy that was in jail that's the greater miracle, not that this guy accepted Christ while in prison. Both were great miracles. And that's the gospel. At the foot of the cross, everything can be forgiven. And that's the message that Jesus was proclaiming. So you see why people got all rattled when he said, I've come and I'm the Messiah. And when he said, I've come for everybody, and he used two illustrations that we're going to talk about in a little bit that didn't, they didn't like. 
He's showing, and Luke brings this out in his gospel, Jesus is for everybody. He's for the Jew and he's for the Gentile. He's for the world. Number three, how to overcome discouragement. Not everyone will celebrate what you elevate. Not everyone will celebrate what you elevate. Look at verse 22. Jesus was basically saying, I'm the Messiah. And the people said, is this not Joseph's son? In other words, Jesus, we knew you when you were in diapers. We saw you when you were playing out in the sandlot with, with the kids. We saw you when you went to Nazareth High School, or whatever it was called. We knew you when. And you, you're saying that you're the Messiah? I mean, come on. And Jesus, in verses 23 and following, he gives some examples. He basically says that God reaches out to those who you would least expect. He gives the example of the widow of Zarephath. The story is Elijah was really hungry. And he goes to this widow that God sent him and said, Hey, I'm thirsty. Can you get me some water? Can you bake me a cake, a piece of bread? And the widow's like, I'm about to die. And you're asking me for food? He said, just go ahead and do it. Feed me first and watch what God will do. And while there was three and a half years of, of drought, they said the widow's jar never ran dry. God provided miraculously. The other illustration is Naaman the Syrian. And keep in mind, the Syrians were arch enemies of Israel. And one of the commanders of the army had leprosy. So he went to Elijah's protege, Elisha. And what, what did he tell Naaman to do? To wash in the Jordan River how many times? Seven times. And the Bible says his skin came out looking like a baby's skin, which I, I know what that looks like. It was just like, wow. It went from leprosy to like, man, my skin, no wrinkles. Wow. It's like brand new. And when the people heard that, they got the hint. What Jesus was trying to communicate was this. If you reject God's blessings because you reject a relationship with him, guess what? The blessing is going to flow onto other people. And guess what? The Gentiles are getting in on this. So when the people heard that, they were really upset. But you know what? Jesus, he didn't let people discourage him long term. Was there moments of discouragement? Was there moments of heartbreak? Absolutely. But throughout Jesus' ministry, we see him later on in Luke and the other Gospels. He would get up early and pray. He would talk to the Father. So every time he got a setback, a pushback, the enemy coming after him, Jesus prayed. And the Father gave him strength. So here's a lesson we can learn from Jesus. Don't let the doubters derail you from your destiny. Don't let the doubters derail you. The people were doubting Jesus. Is this not Joseph's son? Who does he think he is? But you know what? Jesus kept going. He didn't let the doubters derail him. It's time for us to believe with the believers instead of doubting with the doubters. It's been said that if you want to fly with the eagles, you can't, can't keep flocking with the turkeys. If you want to soar with the eagles, stop playing with the turkeys. Keep believing. Also, don't let the people who walk only by sight take away your spiritual sight. They're going to say that's not going to happen. Don't believe it. But you know what? We walk by faith, not by sight. So Jesus teaches us, don't let discouraging people, don't let discouraging circumstances get you off mission. Number four, how do we overcome discouragement from the life of Christ? We learn that what you elevate, others will try to exterminate. In verses 28 and 29, and this is after Jesus gave a message of hope. He said, I've come to bring good news to the poor. I've come to heal the brokenhearted, freedom for the captives, sight for the blind." Freedom to the oppressed, 
a message of God's favor. And guess what happened next? They try to kill Jesus. But what we see that Jesus would not be killed until he laid down his life on his own accord. Jesus said, no one can take my life from me. And by the way, they tried throughout his ministry. But whatever Jesus elevated, not everyone celebrated. In fact, they tried to eliminate it. They tried to kill the author of life. Think about the irony. They tried to take the author of life and kill him. They tried to take the author, author of life and try to th- throw him off a cliff. Have you ever had anyone throw you off the metaphorical cliff in your life? Have you ever had anyone try to steal your dream? Have you ever had anyone suck the life out of you? Don't point to the person next to you. <laughs> uh, we've all had that. But there's one key, and this brings us to our last point, one key that helps us unlock this. Number five, God can transform extermination into determination. So you notice they're trying to exterminate the author of life. They're trying to kill him. He's saying, I'm the Messiah. They're like, we'll show you. We're going to throw you off this cliff. But let's read verse 30 together. Look on your listening guide. It's a very profound verse. Then passing through the midst of them... He went his way. Then, passing through the midst of them, he went his way. We don't know whether this was a miracle of deliverance or it was a sheer determination. As we mentioned before, Jesus' first miracle was turning the water into wine. This could have been another subsequent miracle, but we don't know. To me, I think it's a miracle because if an angry mob's trying to kill you and you just walk through the middle of them, to me, that's pretty miraculous. But Luke doesn't tell us to me, it's an implied miracle. Um, I love John Wesley. I grew up in the Wesleyan church. And uh, John Wesley was an interesting character. Um, in that day and time, they wore those big white wigs. And John Wesley said, why bother with it? So he grew his hair out, you know, long-haired preacher. And um, in that day and time, if someone did not like your preaching, they could pelt you with eggs or rocks. And one of the Wesley brothers, not, not a brother, but one of the followers of the Wesley movement, actually got killed because someone hit him in the head, I believe it was, with a stone. So Wesley came up with this whole thing, how to stare down a mob. And he said, if, if a mob breaks out, people don't like your preaching. He was advising his other preachers. He said, find the bully in the crowd, look the bully in the eye, and preach boldly to that bully. So he, he gave people advice on basically how to, how to not lose your life while you're preaching. So in one, one instant, uh, a town bully came against John Wesley. And they grabbed him by the hair of the head, and they drugged him through the streets. But did John Wesley stop? No. As they were dragging Wesley through the streets, he kept preaching. And he wasn't a big guy. I think he was, a, according to history, I think he was less than five foot tall somewhere. Small guy. Imagine being drugged through the streets and he kept preaching. This is the determination Jesus had. I don't, you know, you're trying to kill me? Guess what? God still has a mission for me. You're trying to stop me? Look at the verse that says he went his way. The thing about it is, look at what Jesus didn't do. When, when they had him at that cliff, he didn't fight back. He didn't throw a pity party. No one understands me. He didn't give up. He didn't stop. But notice what he did. He kept going. He kept his mind fixed on the mission. He kept his ears attuned to the Father's voice. All the discouragers were like, let's throw him off the cliff. Let's kill him. He's out of his mind. He thinks he's the Messiah. We don't know what they were saying. I mean, they obviously were talking bad things to Jesus. But you know what? Jesus kept going. And here's the encouragement for you. 
Many of you are in a discouraging place in your life right now. Some of you may be facing a situation in your job that you just wish that you could be in a different job. You wish you could snap your fingers and you'd be in the perfect job. Some of you are in a bad relationship situation. Maybe it's ended in divorce. Maybe you're separated. Some of you are having major health issues. The list could go on and on. Discouragement is everywhere. So how do we overcome when we feel overcome? How do we keep going when we feel overwhelmed? I was reading a story about Beethoven. Everybody knows that he's a musical genius. One thing I didn't know is that in his 20s, he began to lose his hearing. And he would, he would be playing these great concerts, and all of a sudden his, his hearing was going. 30s, his hearing got worse. 40s, his hearing got worse. And according to historians, by the time he was in his 50s, Beethoven was, he, he was deaf, could not hear at all. He was once heard shouting at the top of his voice, I will take life by the throat. Many of his biographers have said his determination was the only reason Beethoven kept improving and kept going. Sheer determination. So when life takes you by the hair and drags you through the streets like Wesley, when life discourages you and people try to steal your dreams, look back to Jesus. They tried to kill him, but did that stop him? He kept going. So until you breathe your final breath here on earth, you still have destiny in your DNA. Until you take your final day, God still has a plan for you. So just to recap, today we talked about five principles. How to deal with discouragement. Number one, you will need God's power to accomplish God's work. God's work is to present the good news to who? Everyone. Not everyone will celebrate what you elevate. What you elevate, others will try to exterminate. And finally, God can transform extermination into determination. Are you determined to fulfill God's purpose in your life? No matter what happens to you, God is doing a work in you. So to summarize this in one sentence, your take-home truth, God can turn discouragement into direction when you focus on the mission. And our mission is to give every man a woman and child, a chance to know the Lord Jesus Christ that you know and you love. Amen? Let us pray together. Father, we thank you so much that you can turn discouragement into direction. We thank you that you have a purpose and a plan far greater than we understand. Father, right now, as we do business with you in our pew, at our seat, I pray you'd speak to us. Right now, with everyone in the spirit of prayer, no one looking around, would there be anyone that would say, Pastor Timothy, you know, I don't, you must have been reading my Facebook status because I am discouraged, I've been discouraged, I need some encouragement right now. If that's you, raise your hand if you've been discouraged lately. Father, you see those hands lifted up. I pray that you would turn discouragement into direction. And I pray you turn direction into destiny. Help us learn from the life of Jesus Never, ever give up. Don't let others that are doubting, don't let others that are destructive, discourage us. Help us, Father. As the believers continue to pray, there may be one here today that you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. The Bible says that we're all created in God's image. Unfortunately, that image has been marred by sin and there's brokenness in the world. The Bible calls it sin. 
If you're willing to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you're willing to ask Him to forgive you of your sins, you believe that Jesus died on the cross, He was buried, and He rose again, right where you're sitting, you can pray a prayer of faith. Just say something like this in your own words. Jesus, I need a new life. The life I have is broken. The life that I have is not what I want it to be. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross, you were buried, and you rose again. I know that you died for my sins, so Jesus, I confess my sin to you. I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. I know that I'm not perfect and never will be, but I know that you will help me. Jesus, come into my life. I make you my Lord and Savior. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, we want to welcome you to the family of God. Father, thank you so much for all you're doing. We love you and we give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's children said, Amen. At this time,